It's time for your Low Country Real Estate Market Update. It's the Brian Beatty Real Estate Show. Brian is one of the top 1% real estate agents in Charleston. Find him online at listingsincharleston.com. That's listingsincharleston.com. Or call him at 843-400-8009. Now, broadcasting from the WTMA studios, here's your host, Brian Beatty. Good morning, Charleston, and welcome to another edition of the Brian Beatty Real Estate Show here on the Big Talker, 1250 WTMA and WTMA.com. I'm your host, Brian Beatty. Thanks so much for joining me as we talk about housing. We've got an action-packed show today, guys. We have Congresswoman Nancy Mace that's going to be on the program here in just a little bit. I'm going to ask her some questions about uh, the Charleston area, the population we've seen, infrastructure, housing, affordable housing, all kinds of great questions. So stick around for that. Uh, we're going to talk a lot about institutional investors as well today. A lot of Wall Street money uh, is purchasing property in the Charleston area. In fact, my team has been hired by one of them to help them purchase 50 properties a month. So I'm going to walk you through that and let you know how that's impacting the real estate market, how it's uh, changing to an extent the supply and the demand what you need to know as both a buyer competing with them and a seller that, of course, would, you know, traditionally you'd think, well, I'm just going to sell my home to a buyer to move into it. Well, these folks are buying places, they're paying full price, cash as is, no appraisal, and it's a great deal. So I, I want to talk to sellers about that as well. Uh, we're also going to focus on the market for a little bit. A lot of changes, uh, things are still very much so fast paced. They are starting to slow down a little bit, and that's what we're going to do first is really just kind of dive into the market. But you know, if at any point in time you guys have a question or you want to reach out to me and have a discussion with me about your real estate needs, you're thinking of buying a home, you're thinking of selling a home, investing in real estate, maybe even joining uh, a real estate team as a career change, maybe you're an agent now and you just want more of what you've got, uh, then please give me a call. I, I invite the phone call and I'm here to help. You know, I've got a lot of folks that call that listen to, to the show that just hey, I need a good contractor, or what would you do in this situation? Happy to help in any way I can. My number is 843-800-0065. That's 843-800-0065. Or you can check us out online. Listingsincharleston.com is our website. Listingsincharleston.com. A lot of great information on there. Of course, you can find out anything that's for sale. Uh, And we have seen a nice little bump up in inventory over the past few weeks. Uh, so check out the website for those updates. You can find out how much your home is worth. You can find out how many buyers we have for your home right now. And of course, you can listen to, gosh, years of this radio show. I've been doing this for, gosh, almost nine years now. I can't believe we're coming up on a decade uh, here on the Brian Beatty Real Estate Show on WTMA. So without any further ado, let's get into uh, just a discussion about the market because the uh, I think people are starting to become concerned. And of course, if you just do like a generic Google search for real estate news, then you're starting to see more and more words like bubble or crash or a weakening of demand. And we've talked a lot on this program about uh, where the market is headed, in my opinion. And uh, I'm, I'm not going to kind of go through all of that again. Certainly go th- go to listingsincharleston.com or, you know, iTunes, Google Play, Spotify. We're, we're, we've got a podcast as well that we turn the show into. So all that information is readily available. I want to just talk about kind of the here and now right now. Because here we are, we've had the Fed raise rates again. And 
Um, although we did have a little bit of a drop down in interest rates, they're still up significantly, even compared to the beginning of the year. The beginning of the year, we were at like three and a quarter. Now we're at at least five and a half percent, sometimes more. And so here's the here's the challenge that we're having, um, and we're experiencing it in our own business. You know, it's 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 kind of rampant across the country right now, and that's these folks that have had properties under contract where there's been some sort of issue. There's been some reason why the property hasn't closed. There's been some sort of delay. Something has happened. It's not been a quote-unquote smooth transaction. And sometimes that's at, at no fault of either party. Sometimes we're dealing with delays on title work from attorneys. Sometimes we're dealing with appraisers being backed up. Sometimes lenders can only move so quickly. Um, sometimes buyers take their sweet time in getting documentation to lenders. I mean, there's a myriad of things that could happen that result in a closing being delayed. But the challenge is a lot of these lenders, well, lenders in general, are going to lock the buyer's interest rate for a period of time. And obviously with rates going up, it would behoove a a buyer to lock their interest rate sooner rather than later. Basically, the longer you wait, Excuse me. The longer you wait, the higher the interest rate has been. I mean, and it's I mean it's it's jumped almost two and a half points already this year. It's basically doubled from this time last year. So for these buyers that have homes under contract, if their rate lock expires, maybe they were at a four percent or four and a half percent interest rate, and now they're staring at a five and a half. 6% interest rate. And, you know, property in Charleston is expensive. The average sales price is higher than it has ever been, and not just by a little, but by a lot. The average sales price in April in the Charleston Tri County area was $585,000. That's up 18% from this time last year. Now, that's the average sales price. The median sales price is at three ninety nine. But even the median's up 17%. So I, so either way, we've had just this massive surge in appreciation. And just so you know, in April of 2020, the median sales price in Charleston was 290 And the average sales price <laughs> was uh, 375 Now we're at 585 It's incredible what has happened with regard to appreciation. And of course, as we were talking with Derek Goulet, um, last show about the impact that that's having on purchasing power based on payment and what's comfortable for a buyer with regard to payment. And and the bottom line is we are starting to see some deals fall through and just not happen. The buyer's just out of the market. They now have to reconfigure what they are able to afford. You know, this increase in payments is having a real impact on uh, really two different things. Number one, of course, what the buyer can afford, which in many instances is hurting the entry level market as continue as, as people kind of continue to get priced out of the market. And then of course you've got the other group of people that say, I don't want to pay that much. I can, I just don't want to. And so it, it, it puts people in a very tricky position when a buyer and a seller obviously have signed a contract, but that contract is contingent upon financing. And this is, I have such a huge problem with the, the contract and the way that it's written, the South Carolina Boilerplate Purchase Agreement. 
which basically states that the financing contingency expires at closing. Meaning that if at any point in time, even up until the hour before closing, the lender says, hey, sorry, you know what? Can't do the loan. Uh, We're denying financing. Then theoretically, well, technically, the buyer has the ability to cancel the contract, terminate it, and get their earnest money back. It's 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 not good for sellers. For buyers, obviously, it's fantastic, and the contract in and of itself weighs more toward the buyer. But these are some of the challenges that not just our market, not just my team, but the entire country is facing right now are deals that are dissolving if they're not closed quickly. And the reality is this, and I've mentioned this on this program as well, getting a home under contract, frankly, isn't that hard. There's so much demand out there and so little supply that when you put something on the market, there is a bit of a feeding frenzy still. It's, it's, it's happening on basically everything that we're selling from a starter home to you know a $5.5 million home on the beach that I put under contract in two days. I mean, and, and everything in between. And so the challenge that I think a lot of people are having, aside from the fact that, hey, now my I'm planning on selling my home. I'm planning on moving. Now you're telling me that you can't move forward with the purchase or you don't want to move forward with the purchase. And it's going to result in a lot of uh, earnest money disputes. And frankly, I think it's going to start to result in quite a few ethical charges against agents because uh, agents are busy. And hey, I get it. We're all busy. It's a fast paced market. There's a lot of velocity in this market right now. But I'm noticing a lot of agents just not uh, being careful contractually, letting things slide, letting deadlines go past, thinking that everything is going to be okay. And then as soon as that happens, almost like clockwork, something in a contract goes wrong. Uh, And then the agent that has been lackadaisical is realizing, oh no, I have messed up. I did not properly protect my client or whatever the case might be. Uh, I guess the point in telling you all this though is that when you're working with a real estate agent, I would not necessarily measure their success based on your ability to get a buyer for your home. That in and of itself in this market is is simpler than it has been in a long time. Now, obviously, there's a strategy associated with being able to get the most money possible and the best terms possible based on a multiple offer scenario and the way in which you handle that and the way in which you... Uh, employ a strategy to get the highest price and the best terms. I think there is real skill involved and the experienced agents know how to get more money for their sellers. I'm adamantly uh, a true believer in that. But where their skill really comes in is from the contract to close process. All those little things that can go wrong uh, and sometimes do go wrong if left unchecked. And this is where communication comes into play because agents are so bad <laughs> at communication. Uh, you know, if, if you want to work with somebody that you have to constantly chase and ask for updates, then, you know, welcome to our industry. That's, that's what we're known for. We're just consistently bad at communication. It's, and it's one of the few things in our industry that's free. <laughs> you don't have to pay any money to just be a good communicator. Uh, but it's it's something that uh, I find and have found in my 16-year career as being probably the number one complaint about real estate agents. Uh, and so that's why we have a communication guarantee, by the way, in our agreement that says, hey, if at 
we will not let more than a week go by without proactively reaching out to you with an update on what's happening, even if nothing is happening, which is rare, but there are occasions where, you know, you've got a unique property and sometimes it just takes a while to find a buyer for it. It is what it is, but you still need to know what's happening. So the market overall is still fast paced. I do think that uh, this window of opportunity that sellers have to basically get a ridiculous offer from buyer. I think that window is starting to close. I think consumer confidence is starting to wane a little bit, and that's going to have an impact on the real estate market, uh, just as much as interest rates are, by the way. Um, so we'll we'll see what happens. I am encouraged, of course, by the fact that we've got more listings on the market now, uh, more standing inventory, which is indicative of this time of year, and I'd like to see that continue. We'll see what happens. Um, but I tell you what, we're going to take a break because when we come back, we've got Nancy Mace, that's going to uh, be interviewed by me. So stick around for that and the Brian Beatty Real Estate Show right here on the Big Talker, 1250 WTMA and WTMA.com. And remember, if you want to reach out to me personally, you want to talk about real estate, my number is 843-800-0065. That's 843-800-0065. Or check us out online, listingsincharleston.com. We'll be right back. Stay tuned for more of the Brian Beatty Real Estate Show on 1250 WTMA and WTMA.com. 1250 WTMA, the big talker. Expert news and views on the low country real estate scene. The Brian Beatty Real Estate Show on 1250 WTMA. Welcome back as the Brian Beatty Real Estate Show continues here on the big talker. 1250 WTMA and WTMA.com. Again, if you'd like to reach out to me, you have any questions about real estate, you're thinking of buying, selling, investing in real estate, you know, maybe you're an agent, you're thinking about getting into the business, uh, we're here to help. 843-800-0065 is the number to call, 800-0065, or you can check us out online at listingsincharleston.com. So now that we've got that housekeeping out of the way, very excited uh, to bring on Congresswoman Nancy Mace. Nancy, are you there? Yes, sir. I sure am. Awesome. So... Pretty incredible success story, Nancy. I mean, grew up here in the Little Country, you know, Citadel's first grad from its core cadets in 99, uh, master's from University of Georgia, started your own company in 08, uh, focused on, you know, technology and PR and marketing. And then you switched over to commercial real estate, which is how I know you. Yes, we met a number of years ago when I think I first got my real estate license. Uh, we were operating out of the same offices in Mount Pleasant. Yeah, yeah. And so, of course, now you here you are in Congress. And so, um, I've got just a few questions for you and, and curious to know your take on this, but the first one, we'll just mm-hmm. kind of keep it kind of, uh, you know, easy, so to speak. And that is that just, you know, being born and raised here and, and remaining a resident of Charleston, I'm curious, what surprises you the most about the transformation of Charleston over the, say, the past 20 years? Well, growing up here, I'll say I was born at Fort Bragg, but when my dad retired from the army, his family is originally from South Carolina, so he retired to Goose Creek. And I will tell you, I remember the very first time I, I ever drove over uh, 526, going over the Don Holt for the first time, and there was not a single car on the road. <laughs> and you fast forward it decades now, later now, and now that I'm representing the 1st Congressional District here on the Hill, on Capitol Hill, the amount of growth that we had, we're the 10th fastest growing congressional district in the nation, and there. There are people from all over the country. It's not just the Northeast. It's the Midwest. Um, it's people moving here from Aiken or Greenville also from all over the state of South Carolina. In fact, in the, I'd say in the last two years, we've had you know, almost 50,000 people register to vote 
in the first congressional district. Uh, the kind of growth that we had has been kind of crazy over the last couple of years. Yeah, and uh, it's demanding on our resources, our infrastructure development, those kinds of things. You know, our obvious, obvious, our infrastructure is behind on the development and the growth. It's hard to keep up when you're moving at that kind of pace. Um, but it's kind of shocking when you think about the kind of growth that we've had too. Yeah, I've, I've been here for 21 years now, and the the change mm-hmm. has been fairly astronomical. But you know, we, we've seen this huge surge in population. You know, businesses starting and or relocating to the area. You know, a, a booming port. You know that accounts for you know one in ten jobs in the Low Country. The mm-hmm. and, and the congestion mm-hmm. that comes along with that. So for a lot of folks, especially those that have lived here for a long time, you know they kind of feel like we're we're bursting at the seams. So what are you focused on? with regard to our infrastructure and the associated impact it's going to have on our local economy. Yeah, well, I will tell you, when I got elected, the very the number one committee I wanted to get on, I didn't care wherever else they put me, was on the Transportation Infrastructure Committee, which I thought would be the most bipartisan committee up here. Turns out, and I serve on three committees, it's been the most partisan, which has been the most frustrating to me because we have such enormous infrastructure needs. It's not only federal, it's state, it's local, it's county, it's municipal, it's all of the above. And, you know, it's not just widening of 526, it's just not not widening 95 and I-26, it's flooding. There are environmental factors. And just to maintain the roads that we currently have before we even expand them, um, we live on islands, just about all of us do, or close to beaches and saltwater and sea air and so all those things, the maintenance of our roads and our infrastructure take, is a far greater cost here along the coast than any other place in the entire state of South Carolina. And so, for example, we had a recent uh, appropriation submission for the WARDA bill, which is the Water Resources Development Act. And typically, you're only, as a member of Congress, you're, only, you're limited to putting three projects in and you hope and pray one of them might get some funding. The funding apparatus is determined by bureaucrats uh, in Washington, but we're each allowed to put requests in. Well, I didn't stop at three. I actually put in 14. It was the highest number of project requests of any member of Congress because I just said, this is ridiculous. We have so many needs. Um, And it's kind of like when we did the infrastructure bill last year, uh, when we were doing the normal appropriations process, I actually had over a billion dollars in that bill for the low country. And then it got stripped out and taken out uh, when it was in the Senate. But um, that's been something that I've been working very hard on is understanding our needs, our infrastructure needs with uh, our elected officials at the state and local level, but also with residents. And in the first 12 months in office, myself and my staff, we had over a thousand meetings with constituents in the district. And so we listened to constituents. And when someone says, hey, there's a pothole here, we'll get in touch with the right authorities, whether it's a state or a local road or federal, uh, federally managed. Um, you know, we're trying to be involved in the processes as much as possible, but we can't get enough funding and resources fast enough to keep up with the pace of growth and development we have here in the low country. Yeah, it, it, it feels that way. But uh, let's, let's mm-hmm. talk about the kind of the delicate balance act between development and, and economic prosperity and environmental conservation. You know, what, what's your approach toward kind of blending the two without losing the charm of the low country? Yeah, and that's, I mean, that's sort of the, that is the delicate balance because you want to have the right soil conditions so that businesses can start up 
grow, thrive here. And the vast majority of residents in the first congressional district in the low country, they work or have started a small business. So the vast majority of jobs are those that are employed by small businesses. And so you want to make sure that the economy is strong um, so that businesses can start up and grow and thrive and, and be the best that they, that they can be. At the same time, you know, understanding, you know, Tourism is a big economic driver for us down here, but we all know when people come to visit, they never want to leave and they end up moving here. And so, um, you know, understanding that that's part of our economy, but come, comes with that is the growth. But there are a couple of things that I supported as a state lawmaker and continue to support today. I have over 100% uh, voting record with the conservation voters of South Carolina, but there are things like the Low Country Land Trust um, that will go out and buy property and to conserve it for nature, to conserve it for future generations and to conserve it for the low country. Um, there are ways that private citizens uh, can keep the low country beautiful by using tools like conservation easements mm-hmm. for future development on their land and, and keeping pristine land, uh, keeping it that way and giving a home to to wildlife and to habitats here. And one of, I'll tell you, one of the other We've been a part of a lot of projects, whether it's grant funding, whatever. We got over $50 million in grant funding for the district last year alone. I've passed 16 bills out of committee. But one of the very first projects that I completed as a member of Congress was a local issue in Mount Pleasant with Crab Bank. And you had the Army Corps of Engineers on one side. You had residents on another. You had the mayor in the town on another side. You had habitat groups and wildlife and environmentalists on another. And no one was on the same page. And it was that balance of, well, we know there's a lot of ecotourism here. We know we want this could be a barrier for storms and part of our infrastructure. It could also be a wildlife habitat for birds. And, and so we had all these benefits here, and you had some, you had some dredge, non-toxic dredge nearby, and we could save the federal government money. But then we just had to decide on a design for Crab Bank in the island, and we got it. We got it done in about 12 weeks, and this was an issue they've been working on for, I think, close to 11 years. And, and one of the things I've realized in this position is that sometimes there's just a huge gap in communication and stakeholders and groups and organizations and residents are not talking to each other. Like you might get a public notice about an event, hey, we're doing something, but then nobody shows up. And it's just demanding that people have that conversation and figure out, well, where do we go from here? How do we make sure that we protect our environment, that we uh, protect our infrastructure and we have the resources um, when the demand needs to be met. And uh, that was a project I was really proud of, but it, that had that intersection of, of the economy, prosperity, the environment, conservation, all the things that those who live here in the low country love and want to protect. Right, right. So, you know, as, as you've seen, as we've all seen, you know, the massive increase in property values over the past several years. I mean, we were mm-hmm. at I mean, the numbers came out just a, a few days ago, but 10 years ago, we were at a $255,000 average sales price. Now we're at $585,000, which is incredible. But you couple that mm-hmm. with, you know, the, the recent increase in interest rates, the effects of inflation, affordable housing is a real challenge in the low country. What's, what's being done about that? What kind of conversations are you guys having about that? Yeah, it, it, is, an, it is an enormous challenge. And, and I talk to residents all the time. Most people in the low country who've been here for two years have seen their the prices of their houses double. A lot of people, some people want to sell, but then it's where do you go because the cost of housing is so high. And then don't get me started on rent. I was looking at rent rates the other day, and I know in some places a three-bedroom apartment costs $3,000. Like, what are you talking about? Um, This is really unaffordable for many people. 
And so one of the things I think when you're talking about cost of living and the cost of housing is ensuring that the government at the federal, state, and local level isn't putting caps or parameters on wages. So, you know, I know last year and the year before, people were demanding a $15 minimum wage. Well, guess what? That is not enough. And by the way, you know, I believe in the free market and the market has determined that an entry level job in the low country is going to net you far more than that. You're looking at 18 to 20 starting out at a fast food restaurant, for example. Um, the steel mill in Berkeley County, I mean, th- those folks are making on average $114,000 a year. And so we want to make sure that there aren't government regulations that are preventing people from making the most that they can in whatever industry that they work in. And the other thing that you see is, and, and this is on the books in some local cities and municipalities and towns, but there are ordinances that are rarely used that are supposed to incentivize developers to uh, get a tax break or a tax incentive or a tax credit if they have a certain percentage of their units that are for workforce housing. And so how do we find that blend of, of putting some incentives in place so that there is affordable housing? And I've seen it on Daniel Island where you know the developer, when it was built, uh, was put in workforce housing in different parts of, of the island, and it's worked really well. And so what, what, in what ways can we encourage developers to, to continue along those lines in the same way that we want them to conserve the land and not only not just develop on all of it, but leave some of it for nature and wildlife, the same way we should find ways to encourage developers to put in uh, workforce housing that would make it more affordable. But the other thing that is factoring into all of this is inflation and taxes. Mm-hmm. And uh, the final portion of the South Carolina gas tax that, that was voted on in 2017 hits us in July. And this summer, and and we're going to see gas prices go up yet again. Housing prices are up. When you have a government that is adding trillions to its debt every single year, that's putting taxes and everything, and the infrastructure bill that I talked about earlier that I ended up not voting for because, come to find out, it wasn't paid for when we were told it was. There were 42 new taxes in that piece of legislation. And so when you – and I've never voted to raise a tax. And so when you when you look at the way the federal government spends – we look at the way there are tax increases over the last couple of years, all those things add to uh, the rising costs that we have. And when you go to the grocery store, you're paying twice as much. You're going to put gas in your car, you're paying twice as much. And so it's really ensuring that we have policies in place that will address the supply chain, that we look to uh, decrease taxes for all Americans in the future, particularly when Republicans are in the majority after November. What are we going to do? And I think that means addressing inflation. That means balancing the federal budget with something like the penny plan that cuts a penny for every federal dollar uh, that government spends and balances the budget in five years. But looking at ways to reduce taxes, to to reduce our spending, but also, as you know, in the home building and real estate business, our regulations in this country make the cost of goods and to produce and build things a lot higher. The mm-hmm. cost of building a house now is 25 to 30% more expensive because of regulations. There are houses on the market right now that can't close because they're missing a metal or plastic protector on on something like the water meter or their electric meter. It's just like, what? <laughs> why are we making things harder? Uh, why are we not working smarter? And so, you know, our regulatory policy has to be looked at. We've got to look at repealing regulations that get in the way and cost us from being able to do business, produce goods, and make things and build things in this country. Agreed. Agreed. So, you know, South Carolina, uh, I think, has a real opportunity to improve its attractiveness even further by improving education. 
which which kind of consistently is in the bottom quadrant nationally, we'll just say. So, you know, among the low country, mm-hmm. there's you know, there's some great public and charter and private schools, but there's some room for improvement. You know, so what's your approach to tackle that issue? Yeah, and I will tell you, this is an issue that was really bothersome to me as a state lawmaker. Um, the way that the state of South Carolina spends educational dollars, we're about 50%. We're in the middle of the country, 23, 24, 25, in the amount of money we spend per student, per pupil in South Carolina public schools. But then you look at our outcomes, we're dead last. I mean, we're behind Mississippi. <laughs> I mean, this is not a good place to be. But when you look at the the spending we have per pupil, and then you find out how much actually makes it into the classroom versus how much gets paid to bureaucrats, whether that's in D.C. or whether or whether that is in the state of South Carolina, not enough money is make it, making it into the classroom. And God forbid we try to pay our teachers a living wage in, in this country and in our state, but um, we are not putting enough focus into the classrooms, paying our teachers, ensuring that resources go to students who need them. Um, so that teachers and schools don't have to beg for help. Um, we just waste a lot of money when it comes to not only the federal side of it, federal agency, the Department of Education, but the state uh, level, state Department of Education is just as bad. And so we've got to find ways and find, now there's a big election on the state superintendent of education, but find someone who's going to be more efficient and more effective with getting those dollars into the classroom. And that will make learning and education for all students from all walks of life, all colors, all zip codes, better off in the future. Perfect. Last question for you, you know, keeping in mind that this show is, you know, focused on housing. What is it that I haven't asked you that you feel is important for our listeners to know? Um, we've asked a lot of great questions for a real estate program. We've, we've, we've dived in pretty deeply. Um, I, I would say, you know, it's really important. You know, we look at things at the federal level, we're all paying attention. We're all on social media um, but I would say, you know, I would just encourage folks to look at local issues and how you can make a difference. Because sometimes at the state level, whether it's state politics, the governor, the state legislature, or the state house or the state senate, county councils, school boards, city councils, um, you name it, they can have a much faster impact on our community than the federal government ever could. And although I'm a Republican and I'm in the minority and I passed several, several pieces of legislation, 16 now, 16 bills now out of committee, the federal government is just so slow. Only one of those 16 bills is going to be signed into law. It'll be signed into law by the president later this year, but we move very, very slowly. And so I would encourage people where there is tremendous need, where there is a tremendous challenge, not to neglect to look at what's going on at the local level, how to have your voices heard, and doing it in a way that brings the community together. Um, because as a conservative, I know that we can, our goals are the same, but how we get there can often be different. And it's by using persuasion, it's using data, it's using information to make a persuasive argument, to, be, to bring people together on both sides of the aisle, on both sides of an argument. And I am living, breathing proof that you can do it. And so I would just encourage folks to be active um, and to think about how they can make an impact and have a voice and show up to public meetings and public hearings and share information with the community so people know what's going on. Um, these issues affect all of us at various levels uh, and to varying degrees. But when we educate ourselves and ev- educate each other, we can make a true difference and have a strong voice when we work together. Awesome. Well, Congresswoman Nancy Mace, thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate it. Great discussion. Thank you, Brian. And uh, you enjoy the rest of your day. 
Yes, sir. Thank you so much, and have a great day. All right. Take care. And and, good to hear your voice again. Yeah, good morning. talking to you as well. Yes, sir. All right, bye. All right, so stick around for a little bit more of the Brian Beatty Real Estate Show as it continues right here on the Big Talker 1250 WTMA and WTMA.com. It's the Brian Beatty Real Estate Show, broadcast Saturday mornings at 9 and Sunday mornings at 10 on the Big Talker 1250 WTMA. 1250 WTMA. Now, here's more of the Brian Beatty Real Estate Show on the Big Talker. 1250 WTMA. Welcome back, folks, as the Brian Beatty Real Estate Show continues here on the Big Talker, 1250 WTMA and WTMA.com. And uh, I always like to take a moment and just say thank you to those of you that listen to the show and, and rely on the information within it. You know, we just had a great discussion with Congresswoman Nancy Mace about what's happening here in the Low Country. And that's really the aim of this show is to help you better understand uh, where you live and, and the growth that we're seeing, and of course, how that relates to. Uh, housing here in the low country, the real estate market, uh, whether it's you know national news that affects us, regional news that affects us. Uh, I want you, the listener, to be an informed consumer, and that's the purpose of the show. So thank you so much that those that uh, to those that listen to it. And if you want to reach out to me, if you have some questions, you're thinking of buying, selling, investing in real estate, you're looking for a reputable real estate agent. I've sold over a thousand properties here in the in the low country, about a billion dollars worth of real estate represented. So if you'd like to reach out to me, my number is eight four three eight hundred. 0065. That's 843-800-0065. Call or text that number. Or you can visit us online at listingsincharleston.com. That's listingsincharleston.com. If you didn't catch the interview that I had with Nancy Mace, it will be on our website shortly. Or you can check us out on iTunes, Spotify, YouTube, Google Play. We're Just search Brian Beatty and, and hopefully you'll find us with whatever way you want to listen or, or watch to this show. So I want to switch gears just a little bit. I want to talk about how to prepare for the spring market. I mean, obviously, we're right in the middle of it right now. And you know, we're seeing some more properties hit the market, which is encouraging. And it's about time. But it's also a product of the seasonality of our market. May traditionally is when we see the most new listings hit the market. So we're not sure if we're on the path toward our market balancing a little bit, right? The scales kind of returning to some semblance of normalcy. Or if this is just a product of what happens this time of year, I can tell you that in 2020, we had basically no seasonality in our market because we were right in the middle of COVID and stay-at-home orders, and uh, it just it just felt so much different. Well, it was so much different, and that is when inventory, number of homes for sale, just started to fall off of the face of a cliff. And now we're finally at the point where maybe we've We've hit the bottom. We've bounced a little bit. We've put a few hundred more homes on the market consistently than than we have in uh, months or years past at this point. But as a seller, the the idea is this, right? I, and first of all, no one here has a, a crystal ball. There's so much going on economically, politically, locally, that it's tough to put your finger on what's going to happen. I have a general idea just based on the fact that I'm a student of the market. I've studied it for a very long time. That's how I got to be where I am where I am. Uh, but for a seller, the idea is always, how can I sell it for the most money possible? Now, on that spectrum, you've got folks that want to sell quickly for maximum convenience. And with the entrance into our market of institutional investors and hedge funds, people buying from all over the country, all over the world, Wall Street, 
the prices have become exceedingly high. I just mentioned that 10 years ago, you know, the average sales price in the Charleston market was $255,000. Last month, it was $585,000. We've seen an incredible amount of appreciation and price growth as a result of everyone moving here and the, just the overall demand for housing. But now that interest rates are where they are, couple that with inflation, couple that with low inventory, and demand is still strong, but it is starting to wane a little bit. We are starting to see that in some markets, and it really is going to kind of show up first in the second home market just because of the nature of those transactions. They are wants. They are not needs for for buyers. Now, for a seller, you might need to sell it, but it's still a matter of whether the buyer is in a position to purchase it or not. Now, for at least the short term, there are so many folks with their eyes on Charleston that you're not going to have any challenge selling it. But what we've all been used to is the idea that this buyer is going to get you a great offer. They're going to agree to your terms. They might even let you stay in it for a week or two or a month or two so that you can figure out where you're going to go next. It's as is. They're waiving the appraisal. They're, they're really giving you a fantastic offer. What some on you know, the outside looking in might label as ridiculous. And the window for receiving those ridiculous offers, in my opinion, is starting to close. It's tightening up a little bit. We're seeing it right now. The data won't show it for a few months from now when those closings occur and when days on market start to creep up a little bit or when the difference between the list price and sales price widens just a little bit. But those are going to be the telltale signs. So if I'm a seller right now, then on one hand, as I mentioned last program, we have a local buyer that is purchasing property for cash off market. They're paying full market value. They're waiving the appraisal 10 days uh, to inspect the property just to make sure there's nothing major I've not seen them renegotiate a contract yet because the sellers are supposed to disclose any material defects about the property. We're going to talk about that because that's something that I think people are really, they're getting sued over. And sellers, I think, are becoming maybe a little too comfortable with everything being in their favor. So I want to talk about that in just a little bit. But on one hand, we've got this cash buyer that will that will buy your house. They'll make you an offer in 24 hours. You know, this week, we've already done seven, I think, with them. So if that's an option that you want, I'm just here to tell you, we, we have it, and it's readily available. All you have to do is call or text me, 843-800-0065. We'll get some details about your property. We'll put it in front of them, determine whether they want to make an offer or not and how much it's going to be. And I have not seen them make an offer below fair market value yet. Of course, the other route is let's prepare the home for sale. Let's come up with a pricing strategy, right? Do we either price it at what it's worth or very close to what it's worth with the expectation that we're going to get multiple offers and have buyers fight over each other? You know, we're still seeing multiple offers on almost everything we put on the market. Or do we price it a little high, knowing that at least in the short term, prices are still going to go up a little bit. It's not like we are dead in the water. And I don't want people listening to think that our market has somehow, some way grinded to a halt. It has not. But we are starting to see some of those signs. It will be kind of slow at first, but as soon as consumer confidence shifts, that's when the market will shift. So do we price it at what it's worth or do we anticipate the appreciation in that particular area, in that price range, in that zip code, in that neighborhood after assessing our local competition? 
And and do we hope that a buyer comes up to us? Do we then basically set the next benchmark for what a home of that size with those upgrades and that kind of condition would sell for? And that's really just a matter of personal preference. I'd say there's no right or wrong answer. It's dependent upon your level of motivation and your propensity for risk, quite frankly. So when when you're thinking about putting your, putting your home on the market right now, I, I will tell you that there are so many buyers out there that are looking that some most of these homes and really attractive neighborhoods, mine being one of them, I think we've put maybe a handful, I can probably count on one hand, the number of homes we've put on the market officially in the past, say, two years, maybe three years. And we've done probably triple that, maybe even quadruple that off market, just because someone knows someone that wants to move into the area. Or there are agents that live in the neighborhood that are working with buyers that say, hey, if you ever have someone interested in selling their house, please let me know, I'll bring you a buyer. And with the amount of marketing that my team does and the amount of buyers that we have, we have literally 17,000 buyers in our database that review properties from us when we send them to them. So whenever I'm going to someone's house, I look in my database and through some just some creative technology that we have access to, we can see this is the number of people that if I were to put that home on the market would be interested in that kind of home. And it's usually in the hundreds. And so I implore you, if you're thinking about selling your house, and you value not having to fix it up as much as uh, you would in a traditional sense or opening yourself up to showings, then let's see if we can either get you a cash offer from our local buyer or if there's anybody else in our database that might be interested in your property. And to do that, just give me a call or text me, 843-800-0065 or contact us online at listingsincharleston.com. That's listingsincharleston.com. Stick around for the last few minutes of the Brian Beatty Real Estate Show right here on the Big Talker 1250 WTMA and WTMA.com. Visit Brian Beatty's website at listingsincharleston.com. The Brian Beatty Real Estate Show continues next on the Big Talker 1250 WTMA. You're listening to the Brian Beatty Real Estate Show on the Big Talker, 1250 WTMA and WTMA.com. Welcome back, folks, to the last few minutes of the Brian Beatty Real Estate Show here on the Big Talker, 1250 WTMA and WTMA.com. I really appreciate those of you that uh, have listened to the program. We've had some great content for you today, I think. Uh, but I want to—I just want to give a, a word to the wise for these last few minutes here, and that is, you know, sellers that have been putting their property on the market or agents that are kind of like your typical MLS agent, meaning, hey, we'll sign the paperwork, we'll put it on the MLS, we'll let other agents show it, they'll bring us an offer, I'll help you negotiate it, we'll be done. Sometimes people get too comfortable. There are some very important documents that you need to sign, and there are very important issues that you as a seller need to disclose. I think what we are seeing right now because of the number of buyers that are electing to waive the inspection are of course relying on the data that you the seller are divulging to them about the condition of your home it's done through a specific document called a property condition disclosure statement where you are required to disclose any present material defect there are a few other questions in there that talk about previous issues as well, but that is a document that you have got to take your time on. If you're a seller and you are selling for sale by owner, you have got to put in the time and energy and and attention 
into filling that document out correctly because that is likely the single most important document that you can sign that prevents somebody from suing you. It's a very serious issue. It's it's happening more and more. Um, there are plenty of attorneys in town that have reported that the number of uh, lawsuits for specific performance or negligence or failure to disclose material defects is going through the roof. And so it's just... I just wanted to take a little time and just say, make sure that you work with somebody that really understands what they're doing. Make sure you work with somebody that can help you understand the importance of the documents and the process and can protect you contractually so that you don't wind up in front of an attorney uh, or judge uh, because of either negligence. Hey, we all don't know what we don't know, but that's why you rely on professionals. So if that's something that I can help you with, if you're thinking about selling for sale by owner, please at least let me allow... Uh, let me send you the documents that you're going to need and give you an explanation of what you need to do so that uh, you don't you know, you know, get yourself in trouble. So if I can help you with that, my number is 843-800-0065. That's 843-800-0065. Or go to listingsincharleston.com or you can send me an email, brian at brianbeattyteam.com. But thank you so much for listening. You guys enjoy the rest of your weekend. Thanks for tuning in to the Brian Beatty Real Estate Show on the Big Talker 1250 WTMA and WTMA.com. Join us for another edition of the Brian Beatty Real Estate Show next Saturday morning at 9 and Sunday morning at 10. Contact Brian Beatty online at listingsincharleston.com. That's listingsincharleston.com. Or call him at 843-400-8009.